Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that uh, prayer of supplication. And it was indeed just a little bit different to hear you speaking about Mark and Amy. You've been here in the pulpit, but thank you, uh, Brother Mark Armstrong, for sharing your wonderful talents there on the trumpet, that we might enjoy that, and Sister Amy on the piano, and how that blessed our hearts. I love this season of the year as we celebrate the birth of Christ and, and the music. It's too bad we only get to sing Christmas carols, Christmas songs, hymns, that just at this time of the year, I guess you could sing it other times of the year, but people look at you strange if you break out into Joy to the World or Oh Little Town of Bethlehem and it's in July, but that's okay. Do what you want to. It's America, right? Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter because we're continuing a series of messages that I've begun in this wonderful epistle to the early church. And um, as we do, I'm going to invite you to turn to chapter 2 and we'll be beginning to look at verse 13 and onward from there. And as you turn in, and, and we'll get to that uh, text in just a moment, you know, chances are there are very few people, even in a, a, a gathering like this, there are very, very few people uh, that are 100% pleased with the outcome of the recent elections. I guarantee you, even in a group this size, that there are some who are disappointed with the uh, presidential election and yet then you'll find some who are disappointed with the gubernatorial election. You'll find some who are disappointed maybe with the legislative election. And then maybe a few with the local elections. Uh, chances are nobody got everybody into place of what they would have preferred. And so there's maybe some bit of disgruntledness or dissatisfaction with the outcome of the election. But regardless of our opinion of those who are in authority over us, the fact is that the scripture makes it abundantly clear, and we'll see that in the text, that as Christians, we have a biblical mandate to submit ourselves to those who are in authority over us in all aspects of society, government, and, and onward. You see, how we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves and how we relate to others, especially when it comes to our relationship and relating to those who are in authority over us, has a direct bearing upon our relationship with God, here, now, and in eternity. And that's, the, that's worth stopping to ponder. The way that we conduct ourselves, behave ourselves, and relate to others, and especially those in authority, has a direct bearing upon our own personal relationship with God. And as we contemplate that, as we look at what Peter is saying to those early Christians, in a very difficult era in the church's life, particularly about those in authority, it's worth us stopping to remember that our ultimate allegiance is to God. Our preeminent responsibility is to our Creator, Redeemer, God, and in our relationship with Him. And so therefore, it's worth considering as we live our lives daily, that we stop and think about the believer's witness before God. How does God see your life? And, and what impact does that have in what he sees in the way that you live your life day to day and the way that you relate to others? How does that affect your relationship with him? Before we look at verse 13, I want us to back up just a minute and look at verse 12 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we had addressed this passage earlier, but, but it's worth going back to see because Peter's talking about our conduct. And he says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and there Gentiles would be synonymous with those who are unbelievers. But he says, 
that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You'll notice how Peter ended that verse. In other words, God gets the glory for how you conduct yourselves around others and their perception of you, it reflects upon God. We ultimately submit to God's authority. I don't think there's any dis dispute about that. I don't think there's any question about that. Even the Lord Jesus, in that wonderful model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, when he was teaching his disciples a way of praying, he says, you know, you pray, Our Father, who, are, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that that is the ultimate criteria. We need to always ask ourselves, is what I'm about to do, is the way that I'm living my life, is the way that I'm relating to others, is it fulfilling God's will? His will comes first above our will. His will comes first above the will of every other person on earth. You remember in that uh, book of Acts in chapter 4 when Peter and John had been arrested because they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were doing powerful miracles of healing. And so they were arrested by the Jewish leaders. And the Sanhedrin had Peter and John before them and they were threatening them not to preach about this Jesus anymore. Do you remember there in chapter 4 of Acts verse 19 how Peter and John replied, they said to the Jewish leaders, the very ones that had the power to kill them, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's eyes to obey you or God. It's kind of a rhetorical question. Put the Jewish leaders on the spot. But as for us, we must testify of that which we have seen. So you see, ultimately God's authority always takes preeminence. Jesus perfectly modeled this himself. In his own earthly ministry, Jesus made it abundantly clear he didn't come down here to establish himself. He didn't come down here to reap the glory for himself. He came down here for the purpose of doing the will of the one who sent him. You may recall in John's Gospel, in chapter 4, Jesus is there at the, 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 the well with the woman that was a, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus' disciples had gone into town to buy some food. And they came back and they were asking, you know, said, Lord, here, eat something. And, and Jesus replied in verse 32 of chapter 4 of John, I have food to eat of which you don't know or you do not know. And they were asking, well, well how did he get any food? Did anybody bring him any food? Now listen to what Jesus said in reply. To give you an idea of the preeminence of his thinking as far as God's will. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him, speaking of God, who sent me and to finish his work. In the next chapter in, chapter, in God, John's gospel, in chapter 5, in verse 30, Jesus went on to say, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus perfectly modeled submission to the will of God the Father. We've seen this in our Christian growth group lessons on, here uh, on Sunday mornings just recently. As we examine the book of Daniel and those great men of faith, we see how Daniel and his friends, under unimaginable pressure from a pagan king to conform to the ungodly demands of that pagan king, that ruler, 
They were threatened with things like execution, lion's dens, fiery furnaces, and yet these devoted followers of God, these followers of Jehovah, made it abundantly clear that it was always God's will that took precedent, and God blessed them as a result of their faithful witness. Let me tell you something. Our witness as believers in the 21st century, our witness on earth reflects on our Father in heaven. How you live your life day to day, how you relate to others, and particularly how you relate to those who are in authority has a reflection on our Father in heaven. You remember Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 5, the, the great sermon on the mount. And he says, Let you, you are the light of the world. And we celebrate light at Christmas in many different ways. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just symbolic of the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the light of the gospel of Christ shining in our lives. And Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. I ask you this morning, how much glory does your life bring to God? How much glory does God, does God receive through the way you relate to others around you and then those who are in authority over you? Because that is the number one driving motivation of the Christian's life. We're not here to live our lives to get rich, to accumulate material possessions or to be prominent and have power. We're here daily to bring glory to God. Jesus said that in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, herein is my Father glorified, that you bear forth much fruit. And by this, they shall know that you are my disciples. And by this, you are qualified as my disciples. Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. You've heard that expression. Somebody have, some people have said, you may be the best Christian somebody knows. You may be the best representation of a child of God that somebody sees. And so we need to be very conscious of the way we live our lives and how that reflects. And that's what Peter is saying back there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that even when they speak against you as evildoers, making up lies about you and gossiping about you, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God in heaven. So that is the foundation for what I want to share from God's word with the remainder beginning of chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. I want you to see that we have to have this foundation of a commitment to always be a faithful witness for God. But also... Let's consider the believer's witness in society. Look with me there in verse 13 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You'll see the importance of, of, of for God's sake. Whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers or for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God. Honor 
all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We have a responsibility, Peter says, to submit ourselves to the authority of God-ordained institutions. And that's important. And in recent demonstrations that we've seen after the presidential elections, I think about these, these demonstrations that sometimes turn destructive, that sometimes turn violent. These demonstrations protesting the results of the presidential elections. Let me tell you something. They are a clear violation of just what Peter is saying there. You may not agree with how the elections came out. You may not like the person that ends up getting elected. But let me tell you something. That person is in a position of authority only because God has preordained that. And he has allowed them to be there. Now the important fact for you and I as believers is we submit to all government. All government, all forms of government. We have a responsibility to submit to all forms of government because that reflects upon our devotion to God. I think it's interesting, Peter says in verse 16, as free, not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. In other words, don't use the fact that you are now free in Christ. You're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from the restraints of, 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 of all the shackles of sin and, 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 and a sinful life. You now have great freedom in, in Christ. Listen, that freedom doesn't give you and me a right to disobey the law. Or to disregard the law. I think about how Jesus was tested one time. You remember in the gospel how someone asked Jesus, Do you, do you pay taxes or not? And Jesus wisely said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God. Jesus never advocated breaking the law, nor do the New Testament writers. Our Christian liberty doesn't exempt us from being obedient to the authority of the law above us. Now I want you to remember that the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians in first century Roman Empire under the, under the leadership of of a Roman Caesar by the name of Nero who at best was deranged and was an avid persecutor of the church. And even with that, Peter never encouraged them to rebel against the authority of the Roman emperor. You know, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, and you'll find oftentimes that the Apostle Paul and Peter uh, are parallel in their writings and their thinkings. But listen to what Paul says. Likewise, as you hold your place there at 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what Paul says in Romans 13 in verse 1. He says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So Peter, uh, Paul reminds the early believers there at Rome, they have a responsibility. He goes on in verse 5 of chapter 13 of Romans. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Don't, don't submit to the authority of the governing leaders simply because you're afraid you're going to get arrested and thrown into prison or executed. But for your conscience sake, knowing that God expects you to be a good citizen and to follow the obedience of the law or the, the restraints of the law. Paul also said in Titus in chapter 3 verse 1, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. So you see, when it comes to your relationship with a, a, a civil leader, a government leader, it's not contingent upon whether or not you like them 
or you agree with them, or even if you respect them. The fact is, we are to submit to the authority of that office that they hold. And Peter is reminding the early Christians of the responsibility that is theirs to su submit themselves, as he says in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The king being supreme, equivalent to say our president, and then to governors, those who are under him, who have the responsibility of providing law and order and, and punishing evil, as Peter says. But also the government also has a responsibility of rewarding those who are good citizens. Our good citizenship contradicts baseless accusations of those who will bring accusations against us. So submitting to government leaders also is a way of silencing our senseless critics. Look what Peter says in verse 15 there. He says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There are those who will indeed fabricate things about you as a Christian. There are those who will stir up things just to, 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 to try to, to cause you to look like you're a bad citizen. But when you and I, even when people disagree with us as Christians, even when they re re reject our Christianity, uh, rebel against our, our beliefs in the Bible, listen, it's important that we as Christians live quiet and humble, respectful lives, minding our own business, living out our Christian convictions, and we will provide our adversaries no credible evidence with which to, to condemn us. If anything... When they look and they see and they examine your life, and as Peter says, and they see that your conduct is good, ultimately they may glorify God. Our, you see, we have a responsibility, as Peter brings out, our, we have a responsibility to have a respectful attitude and it becomes a blessing to other citizens. Look what he says there in verse 17. In addition to submitting ourselves to the authority around us, look at verse 17. Peter says, honor all people. That should be the mindset of, of every Christian. All people are created in the image of God. All people deserve respect. All people deserve to be treated respectfully. And, and so Peter says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. In other words, as Christians, we have a, a very strong responsibility to love one another in the household of God. But Peter goes on to say, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So in the way that we relate to other people, we should bring a good reflection upon Christianity, upon the church, and upon our God. So that others, as they see us and they see the way that we live our lives and they see the way that we, we respond to other people with kindness and respect and love. And they see the way that we obediently follow and submit to the authority of government. They understand that we are different from the rest of the world. They see the power of the transformation of our Christianity in the way that we relate to others. This brings glory to God. Being a good citizen... Not only keeps you out of trouble with the law, not only keeps you out of jail, but being a good citizen gives glory to our God. And that's what Peter is saying. Even in these very difficult times of persecution, we must stop and consider the effect of our witness upon those around us. 
But then Peter moves on in verse 18, and we talk about not only the believer's witness before government, but the believer's witness in the workplace. Let's look in verse 18. Peter says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. In other words, with respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. In other words, if we translate that into the modern day workplace, not only to that boss person, man or woman, that supervisor or, 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 or manager who is over you, who's harsh and, and indifferent and, and, and tough, but maybe you know, Peter says, listen, you don't just choose to be submissive to those who are gentle and good and kind, but even to those who don't treat you good. You have a responsibility to show them respect and to submit to them. In verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, or for your faults, you take it patiently? But when, when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Listen, Peter says, listen, don't just, don't just submit yourselves because you like this supervisor, you get along with them. Listen, you submit yourself to your supervisors, to those who are over you because of the authority that God has ordained for them to hold over you. You know, the New Testament, Dr. John MacArthur in his commentary made this statement, the New Testament writers never advocated that subordinates should rise up against their superiors. Now stop and think about that. There's no grounds for the Christian. I know maybe some of you are thinking, oh no. But there's no grounds scripturally for Christians to stage walkouts and strikes or sit-ins and, 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 and sick-ins and things like that. The only, the only exception for Christians to take themselves out of a work situation would be if you're being endangered, if you're being abused. Situations like that. But in the context of slavery, even in the context of slavery, just imagine, we can't even begin to put our minds around this. But even in the context of slavery, Christians could be effective witnesses. That's what Peter's telling them. Even living in a life of being a slave, a servant to someone else, you have the opportunity to be an effective leader. I'll take you back to Ephesians in chapter 6. The Apostle Paul talking also to servants. In verse 5 of chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. It's something hard for us to understand how people living in slavery, it would be ordained of God. But you know the scripture gives us biblical, historical evidence of the fact that the Bible doesn't abolish slavery. There's no teaching in the Old Testament or even in the teachings of Christ that seek to throw off the system of slavery. There was a, a system of servanthood. In which those who had great possessions and had the means could help other people to have work. 
to be able to support themselves and sustain themselves. So there was, a, there was in, in many situations, a good, healthy relationship between servants and masters that, were, that was mutually agreeable and mutually satisfying. And so in the context even of, of being slaves or servants, Peter is saying that we should have respectful and unconditional service towards those that are over us and our, our respectful and unconditional service to those who are over us is indeed a testimony to the radical transforming power of the faith that we have as Christians. Even for those who are supervisors who are harsh and un, unreasonable and they see you as a Christian abiding by the rules, working hard, giving your best, being committed, they, then those who are over you have to say, well, wait a minute. Rest of the rest of the employees are grumbling and complaining and they're always wanting this and want here's this person over here. They claim to be a Christian and, and they they're they're agreeable and they work and they're so supportive and they, they're conscientious. So, you know, we as Christians have a responsibility to demonstrate the power of Christ in us in the way that we relate to those who are over us. And Going back to verse 18, Peter says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear or respect, not only to, to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of your conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. So even as slaves were enduring harsh treatment, they endured it with a gentle and a, a, a conscious spirit towards God, and it was a good witness but Peter asked the rhetorical question, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You deserve it. You take it patiently. But when do you do good and suffer for it? If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. How is that commendable to God, Peter says, if you deserve punishment? Verse 21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And then he quotes out of Isaiah chapter 53, that great passage that we know, talking about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He says, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, speaking of God, who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And Peter's speaking here spiritually. We were healed by the fact that Jesus suffered and died and, and gave his life on the cross. We, our souls, are healed. In verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Listen, we have a responsibility to this wonderful calling that God has given to us. Did you see what Peter said there in verse 21? He said, for to this you were called. Our calling in life, as I indicated at the very beginning of the message, our basic calling in life is to live a faithful witness before God. To bring glory to Him through the way that we relate to those who are in authority over us. And in doing so, we model Christ. Isaiah chapter 53 is about a champion. About a Messiah. Who would come and, and, and not victoriously, militarily overthrow the yoke of, of, of a, a sadistic 
ruling uh, uh, um, empire, but that this great Messiah would come in a way that the Jews never expected. He would submit himself. He would, he would suffer and he would heal us through his own stripes. And so we have, Peter says there in verse 21, we have a calling to imitate Christ in our attitudes towards those who would seek to cause us pain and suffering. And when we do that, and we do it with a faithful conscience towards God, seeking to give Him glory, people see in us the very Savior that is depicted in Isaiah 53. So we have a responsibility towards authority as Christians as we live our lives in this 21st century. We may, may not agree with the direction of a leader. We may not like that particular leader, but if God has ordained them to function in this society, in that level of leadership, then it is the responsibility of those of us with this wonderful calling to imitate the attitude of Christ our Savior, to imitate the humble spirit of Christ our Savior, knowing that in doing so, and we saw that played out in the very end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, when he was arrested upon trumped-up causes and, and subjected to a kangaroo court, and when he was tortured, and, and he was hung on a cross to die publicly, we never see Jesus reviling and cursing and, and swearing towards those and seeking vengeance towards, towards those who were causing his great suffering. But Jesus, as the precious Lamb of God, endured all the suffering and even death on the cross because he was submissive to the will of God the Father. And in doing so, I submit to you that he brought great glory to God. Let me ask you this morning as we're closing, are you like Christ? Faithful towards the will of God? Humble in your attitude of submission towards those who happen to be in authority over you? Do others see Christ in the way that you relate to those who are in civil government over you or those in other levels of whether it be in the workplace or the authority in the church? Are you like Christ? Are you faithful? Are you humble in spirit? Are you submissive to the will of God? Are you willing to suffer willingly, knowing that in doing so, you bring glory to God? Listen, the ultimate goal is to give glory to God, but also when we do this, people are watching. Family members are watching the way that you conduct yourself as you deal with members of the, of, uh, of the law enforcement community. And I think in a time like we're living in now when so much, so much disrespect is being targeted towards those who wear the uniform, who represent the law, if ever there was a need for Christians to rise up to say, oh no, we're not like that. We may not agree with everything that, that the laws purport to, to, to pass, but we do stand in submission to those who represent that office of law. And we, in doing so, there are people who watch you. Your, your witness through your actions and your relationship, is, are, your words, your actions are louder than your words. And who knows that somebody might see the way that you conduct yourself in relation to those who are in authority and see Christ in you and be, be drawn to make a decision to submit themselves to Jesus Christ and to come to faith in Christ and be saved. That would be a glorious benefit of living this life of submission.